In preparing for today's teaching, I realized that we can agree on something and yet not be aligned with what we are in agreement with. I could quote a verse or a passage and get a resounding Amen from you, but that doesn't mean we are necessarily aligned with how that is to be applied. Agree? Let's jump right in. Hi, this is Hanson from Archippus Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints that we may know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. Now, this is what Kingdom 101 is all about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus as our King, to embrace His kingdom that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. Will you join me? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We want to proclaim Jesus and His kingdom, and we ask for Holy Spirit to bring us into all truth and understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Agreement sounds a lot like alignment, but it's not really the same thing. Two persons can agree on a certain matter and yet not be aligned with one another. They may agree generally, but when it comes to the details and execution, they do not necessarily align with the other's perspective or understanding. We can agree with a certain idea, Bible passage or teaching and yet not be aligned with it. A favorite phrase of mine is this, we can talk Christian and not live the kingdom. Even worse, we can talk kingdom and not live kingdom at all. You see, agreeing with God and what He says is one thing. Aligning with God and what He means is totally another. Agreement sounds a lot like alignment. But agreement doesn't necessarily mean alignment. And this is exactly what we will discover in our passage today. There was agreement, but no alignment at all. We will consider the text first, and then in the second part, we will discern what it means for us and what we can learn from this account. In Matthew chapter 22, the religious leaders confront Jesus, questioning his identity as the Christ and his authority. The Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees all take turns to test Jesus with tough and tricky questions, in hope of tripping and trapping him to discredit him. So in round 1, verses 15 to 22, the disciples of the Pharisees posed a question about taxes. And in round 2, verses 23 to 33, the Sadducees questioned Jesus about the resurrection. In both cases, Jesus left them marveling and astonished, silenced even. Let's look at what happens in round 3, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Let's read the text together. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We'll begin by considering the text first. In this account, we see three things actually. 
Firstly, the Pharisees' attack. Number two, Jesus' answer. And thirdly, surprise, the Pharisees' agreement. Seeing how their disciples, the Herodians and the Sadducees, all failed to trap and take Jesus down, it was time for they themselves, the Pharisees, to take Jesus on. They gathered to discuss and plot their move, to pick their spokesperson. Of course, a lawyer no less, an expert of the law of Moses. No more beating around the bush. Let's keep to what we know best, the law. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? The Pharisees were known for their strict adherence to the law. From the Ten Commandments and its various extensions across the Torah, they derived 613 commandments. And then they categorized it as positive and negative. 248 positive, this is what you must do. And 365 negative, you shall not do these things. Well, it's a common practice for rabbis to discuss and debate the relative importance of these commandments. And so it was not a surprise for the lawyer to ask Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law. They would assign weightage to determine the key application and the principles and the points. Although generally agreed that every command was equally binding, the tendency was to focus on certain aspects which were considered more important. And so they would add more safeguards and requirements, they call it fencing. And in doing so, the tendency was then to neglect the others or even missing the entire point. We will see in Matthew 23 and verse 23 where Jesus said, you look after all these little details, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And the Lord was telling them, please, don't miss the wood for the trees. However, in this case, they were not really interested in having a healthy discourse with Jesus. The motive was to test. They wanted to take Jesus down, remember? They wanted to test Jesus with the intention of finding fault with him so that they can discredit him. Now, if he was truly the Messiah, the King, as he claimed, then he must know the laws and the commands of the kingdom. And this is tricky, it's dangerous, because a callous or a wrong reply by Jesus, well, in their opinion and according to their own interpretation, of course, that would mean the cancelling or the disregarding of certain commandments, rendering him then open to a charge of annulling the law, something which Jesus himself had already addressed in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He clarified so clearly, I did not come to annul or cancel anything. I came to fulfill the law. And so this question to Jesus, it was totally legitimate, even if the motive was questionable. In response to their attack, Jesus provides an answer. Matthew 22 verse 37, Jesus said to this lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
Jesus quotes from two very familiar verses known to the rabbis, to all the Jews. And this would be Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. This is taken from the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. This is repeated twice daily by pious Jews. So totally familiar, they know this by heart. And then he goes on and quotes Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, taking out that one line after the entire passage about looking after and loving the neighbor. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. And here's the line, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Just note for now that this is a concluding statement of how the Jews were to treat their neighbor. Now, Jesus links both verses in weight as well as authority. He called the first, the first and great commandment. And he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that the second is just like it, meaning it is as great, it is as authoritative, it is as important. What this means is that it's not one or the other, but both and. Because on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything that they have been taught, everything that's required of them, they must come back to these two commandments and look at that, understand these two together. Every other command is to be interpreted and lived out in light of these two commandments. And so first there was the attack, and after that, the answer. But what was the response? Well, there was no reply recorded in Matthew's account. But Mark records that the scribe, or the lawyer, agreed with Jesus. Mark 12, 32. Well said, Jesus, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifice. Then Jesus acknowledges his answer and actually said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. In another account, in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 27, a certain lawyer tested Jesus with the question, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asks for his understanding of the law. And the lawyer replied exactly as Jesus did in Matthew, quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And Jesus commends him. Well, the lawyer then sought clarification about neighbor, wanting to justify himself. And out of which Jesus then shared the parable of the Good Samaritan. What we can see here is that there was agreement. There was no issue with Jesus' answer. But at the same time, there were no aha moments either. It was totally consistent what they themselves understood, believed, and so they agreed with Jesus. Well, so both sides were in agreement. That's good, yes? But does agreement necessarily mean alignment? Well, we've seen that it is one thing to agree, but it is another to be aligned. So what if both parties gave the same answer and have similar points of view where the greatest commandment was concerned? This did not prove that Jesus was the Christ. No alignment in this aspect or regard then. 
Also, the Pharisees may agree with the law, remember they were custodians and guardians, remember, yet they can still be misaligned in the way they interpreted or applied the law. Similarly, we can agree with kingdom truths and principles and still live totally misaligned. We can agree wholeheartedly and still not know our assignments or go about assignments in the wrong way with the wrong hearts. Agreement does not necessarily mean alignment. And where our passage is concerned, this is extremely dangerous, especially when these two commandments are foundational to understanding and applying all the law and the prophets. No point agreeing with, memorizing, quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 or Leviticus 19.18 if we don't fully align with what these mean and how they are to be applied. This passage thus sets the tone for Matthew 23 where Jesus takes the scribes and the Pharisees to task for knowing and teaching the law and yet not living it out rightly. Major misalignment. He pronounces upon them seven woes, all because they missed the fundamentals of loving God and loving others. But first, Jesus establishes himself as the Christ in the next teaching in Matthew 22, verses 41 to 46. It is safe to assume that we all agree that we are to love God and love others. However, as we have already discovered, agreement does not always lead to alignment. It is too easy to talk Christian and yet not live the kingdom. In this next section, we will dive deeper by considering what loving God and loving others really mean, so that we do not commit the same mistakes as the religious leaders. Agreeing but misaligning and thus misapplying. Let's ask ourselves some questions and consider the answers as we learn together. Question number one, is Deuteronomy 6.5 a command to love God or an invitation to respond to God's love? I know that it is termed as a commandment, but can love ever be commanded? Imagine me commanding my wife, thou shalt love me. I think it's better that I woo her lovingly that she would then love me back on her own accord and desire. The commandment to love is really an invitation to respond to God's love. God told Israel to love Him only after He demonstrated His love to them by delivering and saving them and bringing them into the promised land. God loved first. It's the same for us. God demonstrated His love to us while we were yet sinners through the sending and sacrifice of His Son for us, saving us and giving us eternal and abundant life. God loved first. It is in response to His love that we are able to love Him totally and exclusively. He deserves nothing less. And this is what Deuteronomy 6.5 is about. The phrase, all your heart, soul, mind or strength, refer to wholehearted devotion to God with every aspect of one's being, emotionally, volitionally, cognitively, intellectually, 
we are to love the Lord intentionally and with full intensity, with all our strength. This kind of love for God will result in obedience to all He has commanded. That's what the Shema is all about. And right in between, in this whole set of Hear, O Israel, is thus that invitation or that command to love the Lord. Without the love of God or the love for God, everything is reduced to rituals, rules, and regulations. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. If we love God, we will obey Him and not consider His requirements or desires burdensome. I know that many struggle to try to love God. And it's always a wrong start point when it begins with us and our good intentions. Cannot make it at all. We have to start with God because God loved first. We can only love Him because He first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Now, if you find it difficult to love God, perhaps it's the way you understand or define love. Although love can include romantic and sexual love, it must not be limited only to emotional, feely, mushy love that we are too accustomed to these days. And of all the Greek words for love, Jesus used agape, a word that distinctively refers to a deep and demonstrable love, a self-sacrificing, others-serving love, a love that actively seeks the best for the one being loved, regardless of how we may be feeling at that point in time. Or perhaps you have not realized how great a love He has loved you with. I invite you to revisit your salvation, recount the sacrifice of Jesus, review His grace and loving kindness, not just in the big ticket items, but also in the small, seemingly insignificant ones. Or perhaps your heart, your soul, mind may be distracted or captured by others or the things of this world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, we are told, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. My friends, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Everything else here becomes strangely dim. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to His love once more. Ask Him to overwhelm you with His goodness and faithfulness once more. My dear brothers and sisters, my dear friends, God is not beating us into loving Him. He is requesting us to love Him back. Love God for who He is, for what He has done. With all you are, with all you have. Having considered Deuteronomy 6.5, let's look at Leviticus 19.18. Is Leviticus 19.18 an expectation to love or an expression of love? God's love. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I know we agree that we are expected to love others, our neighbor, our enemies even. But it can be so hard at times, isn't it? 
And this is why the second commandment cannot be understood or lived out apart from the first. In attempting to love others, we realize our need for a far greater love than we ourselves have or can even drum up. It is only with the love of God that we are able to love others. Now conversely, the first commandment without the second is inconsistent. 1 John chapter 4 verse 20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In other words, we cannot say that we love God and not love others. If we declare our love for God, we will and we must love others. Even more critically, it is only with the love of God that we are able to rightly love others. Our tendency is to think that love must always be mushy and nice, that we cannot offend anyone or point things out even when they are wrong. I want you to notice that Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, concludes an entire section, 11 to 18, the verses in Leviticus 19. They conclude this section of how we are to love our neighbor. And loving others does not mean never ever judging. Have you heard that? But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Leviticus 19 verse 15. Now here's a side note. We are to judge righteously, not self-righteously. Loving others does not always mean being nice and pleasant. Now when required, you shall surely rebuke your neighbor. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17. And here's a side note again. As we rebuke, we speak the truth in love and with love. But we won't know how to love others like this if we don't first understand the love of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. It tells us that because God loves us, He disciplines us. And also in Revelation 3, verse 19, Jesus loves us, he says, and that's why he rebukes us. To love others would include discipline and rebuke. The expectation of love for others is ultimately an expression of God's love in and through us. And for sure, this is a process of maturity that requires time and testing, that it might produce the spiritual fruit of love by the Holy Spirit. And for this reason, Paul prayed often for the churches to grow, to abound, and to mature in love. To love others rightly, start with loving God and knowing the love of God. And in knowing and loving God, the expectation to love others becomes an expression of the Father's love. Having considered both Deuteronomy and Leviticus, we can ask the third question. Are you serving in a religion of works or serving out of a relationship of love? You know, we can be very religious without ever loving God or others. We just go through the motion. You know, we keep a set of rules and regulations religiously and ritualistically. We just end up being churchy because it is expected and required of us. And we have a form of godliness with no power. Now, what are the possible outcomes or scenarios if we are serving like that? We serve out of this religion of just doing those works. 
Well, we may be working for God's love instead of working from His love, in that we are always trying to seek His approval and for His love, and never ever knowing if we are good enough. We end up with feelings of inadequacy, condemnation, and we might even be burnt out. Or we might be working from our strengths, right? We do our very best because we want to fulfill this religious duty. What happens? We can become self-righteous, proud, complacent, thinking we are okay, better than others, thinking that we are loving when actually we are not. And instead of loving God and loving others, we might just be loving ourselves, the accomplishments, the status, position, power, influence, And for the sake of upkeeping and protecting these, we fake it and cover up when we can't make it. We play act and we become hypocrites because we cannot imagine how others can possibly love us because we don't really love them. And so instead of loving others, if we are serving out of this type of a capacity, a religion of works, we end up using people, misusing people, and even worse, abusing people. So what's the solution? I think it's time to examine, to re-examine your relationship with the Lord or the lack of. I want you to see Him as a loving Father. And we are His sons and His daughters, a loving husband. And we are His bride and wife. He's a loving King. And we, as His kingdom subjects, a loving master and we as his disciples and servants and he is a loving God and he calls us his people. You need to go back to the love of God, remembering that he loved us even when we did not deserve it. Acknowledge that everything I have, you have, it's all by his grace. That this same grace and love remains available to those who would receive it out of this relationship of love with and for God. We work there not to gain extra favor or more blessings, but because we love Him and desire to please the one that we love. Out of a love relationship, we then have the capacity to love others, our neighbors, even our enemies, God help us, with the hope that they too will experience the love of God through us and come into relationship with Him too. A religion of works cannot achieve this at all. It only adds more requirements and burdens and brings condemnation on ourselves and on others. Let's go on to question number four. Are you motivated by a love for activities or moving on assignments of love? Do you realize that kingdom assignments are primarily assignments of love, of loving God, loving Jesus, and of loving others. Kingdom assignments are not just something to do, but someone to love. We do what we do because we love Jesus and desire to obey Him. And what He assigns to us, we want to finish the work for His glory. To move rightly on assignment, we have to be first rightly aligned. And that means to love Him and then to love others. Everything else, details. We do what we do because our assignments will always involve the loving of others, whether directly or indirectly. Our assignments are given to us, not for us, but for someone else. 
We love the person or the people that our assignments are for. And that's why we want them to experience Jesus and the good news of His kingdom. We want the very best for them. And our assignments are ultimately then to reveal the Christ and His love. My friends, we must be so very careful not to confuse these assignments of love with a love for activities where we get busy and then we feel good about ourselves. Or we do things because we like to feel needed and wanted, that we have a sense of belonging. And then busyness becomes an indicator of our faithfulness or e, our spiritual maturity. We begin to love the work more than the one who assigned the work. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Jesus wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus. At first, he commends them. This is a church that worked very hard. They persevered and endured many challenges. They were uncompromising against sin, and they hated evil. They are watchful, discerning against false apostles and false teachings. Is that good? Obviously, that's wonderful. But the Lord had a warning and an indictment against them. And he said, you have left your first love. This is what I have against you, the Lord's words. You have abandoned the first love. And what this means is that God is no longer first. Jesus is no longer first. They are no longer in first place. When God is not first, in one word, it's called idolatry. And so the Lord says to the church in Ephesus, repent and do the first works. What is most important? Get back into that relationship with the Lord. If not, you risk having your ministry or your assignment removed. Assignments will quickly reveal this possible misalignment of loving the work more than the one who gave the work. Loving God remains number one, with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and out of which flows number two, loving others through our assignments. Both commandments are given the same weightage and authority and are to be considered together. However, Number two, cannot proceed. Number one, loving anyone or anything more, even the noblest of kingdom assignments, is idolatry. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so question number five, are we to love ourselves so that we can love others or deny ourselves so that we can love others? To be clear, to love others as yourself does not mean to be a lover of yourself. Modern psychological thought has influenced the way we understand what it means to love others as ourselves. It promotes the idea of self-love first before all else, suggesting that a healthy acceptance of self is required before one can even love God and others. I know this sounds right, but it is not biblical because it puts us as the starting point and the source of love, and not God. Jesus teaches quite the opposite. As His disciples, we are called not to love ourselves, but to deny ourselves and be ready to give up everything for His sake, including our lives. Look at Matthew 16, 25-26. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, Paul warns that in the last days, many will be lovers of themselves and not lovers of God. From such people, we are to turn away. So what does as yourself mean then? These words presume that one will instinctively love oneself. We are all naturally selfish and will always look out for ourselves first, desiring the best outcomes for ourselves. And so this command challenges us that in the same way you love yourself and seek your own welfare and benefit, would you direct that to the benefit of others? Jesus presented it in another way in what we call the golden rule in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And this is worded in the positive rather than the negative of not doing what you don't want others to do to you. Notice the phrase, for this is the law and the prophets. Does it sound familiar? We've just learned that on these two great commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This means that this golden rule is drawn from and also consistent with the two commandments that are considered the greatest. Again, a proper and full understanding of God's love enables us to love others and ourselves in the right manner. Using the same example of discipline and rebuke again, there are many who choose not to discipline or rebuke, presuming that to be loving, because they themselves don't want to be disciplined or rebuked. And so we must love God and understand His love before we can rightly apply that loving to others. As new creations in Jesus Christ, we learn how to love others through self-denial and not self-love. In the words of Paul, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And finally, let's consider the relationship of love and the law through this statement. Love fulfills the law of Christ and reveals the Christ of the law. Let us be clear that Jesus did not set love against the law, but revealed love as the basis of the law. If not, he would have failed the test for disregarding the law which he said he did not come to annul or cancel, but to fulfill it. The Christ of the law sought not to displace the law with love, but to recover love to its proper place in the law. This is not about situationalism, where the law is disregarded and we are just to do the most loving thing. Instead, we are to apply the law with the love for God and for others at heart. It is not also priority of love over the law as if it's one system over another, but of the priority of love within the law. 
The Ten Commandments is not merely a set of rules and regulations of do's and don'ts. Consider the first four commandments in that we see that it is to love God and God only. And then the next six commandments, it's really to love others, starting with the honouring of our parents and then how we relate to one another with all the do not murder, do not commit adultery, all the way to do not covet something that belongs to another. Jesus summarising the Ten Commandments into just the two greatest commandments, he then paved the way for the New Testament expression where we refer to the law as the law of love. Paul explains in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And from verse 9, he quotes the commandments, and then he goes on to verse 10 to say, Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. Paul picks up on the teachings of Jesus and explains to say that the law is not done away with, but to fulfil it well, love must always be present. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 14, he says again, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. These instructions to love are premised on the love of Christ and of God first. James chapter 2 verse 8 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbour as yourself, you do well. James calls it not just the greatest, but the royal law. And you know now that you cannot just take this one phrase of loving neighbour by itself, you have to read it in conjunction with the first and the great commandment of loving God first. However, it is not love as the world defines it. Once again, it is only with a full and proper understanding of biblical love. And what is that? Loving God and loving others. That we can then fulfill the law of Christ and also reveal the Christ of the law. Let's wrap up today's teaching. Agreement is not necessarily alignment. The religious leaders agreed with Jesus' answer and his citing of Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. No big wow, no aha, no marveling, no astonishment. However, the both cannot be more unaligned. The scribes and Pharisees were misaligned in the way they interpreted and lived out these same verses of loving God and loving others as themselves. Jesus would address that soon in Matthew 23. They thought they were obeying these really well, only to be told by Jesus that they missed it by more than a mile. Can it happen to us? Definitely. We may have acknowledged Jesus as the Christ, but we can still miss it if we are not careful. Something that the law has been done away with, that all we need is love. Others like the religious leaders hold so tightly to the law that they miss the imperative of love. We may be in agreement with God's word and yet be totally out of alignment with his heart 
and with His love. If the fundamental understanding of love is misaligned, and upon these two greatest commandments hang all the law and the prophets, then our entire perspective of scriptures would also be misaligned. What a scary thought! No wonder so few are on assignment or struggling with how we carry out our assignments. Agreement is a good and needful first step, but after that, we must seek to align with Jesus and His kingdom ways. And so here's a quick review of our alignment checkpoints again. Let us remember that God is not forcing us to love Him, but to respond to His love. We may be expected to love others, but it is meant to be an expression of the love that we have first received and experienced from God. If you are working in the religion of works, that's dangerous, friends. Learn to work from a relationship of love. And as you move on your assignments of love, don't let it become a love for activities. As new creations in Jesus Christ, loving others is through self-denial, not self-love. And finally, remember, love fulfills the law of Christ and reveals the Christ of the law. I'm sure we're all in agreement with these points. That's good. Now, let's align as we seek to love the Lord wholeheartedly and to love others as ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this lesson about loving you and loving our neighbour, even as we seek to carry out our assignments in the best way possible. It's not just something to do, but someone to love. Holy Spirit, teach us. And as Paul prayed, I pray for myself and everyone watching or listening in, that we will grow in love, abound in love, and mature in love, so that we can thus reveal the love of Jesus and fulfill the law and bring many more into the love of our Lord and our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipersawakening.org. Until next time, this is Hansen signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.